Welcome to No Ordinary Women, the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and the batshit crazy. Hi, Rose. Hey, Lynn. I'm Lynn. Are you Rose? I'm not Rose. I'm, I'm not Lynn. Rose. Excuse me, I'm picking chips out of my teeth. Oh my God, Lynn. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit that out. I know. Sorry. Um, yes, we just ate like a half a bag full of chips because we were starving like Marvin. I really wasn't hungry at all, but I ate it anyway. I was starving. I had a banana for lunch because I haven't done my meal prep this week. Um, so I just like chips and salsa. I do like chips and salsa, too. But what I did do is I swung by our neighborhood taco joint, Brazos Tacos, and got our delicious skinny jalapeno watermelon margaritas. Oh, they're skinny? They're skinny. That means I can have like six. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm not driving you home. (laughs) I'm not driving you home. We don't even have six. (laughs) We don't have six here. Um, But they are super, super, super delish. They are really delicious. So they just don't have any kind of like sugar in them with the, um, if they're skinny, which is amazing because they're. Yeah. So they're not like that, like super sweet. Yeah. They're amazing they're so good y'all so we've we've we ha- well we've split one and we we're halfway through the second one so if i start slurring you know why <laughs> <laughs> and if you're from uh the charlottesville area make sure you try brazos tacos if you haven't it's amazeballs is the, the new one open yet yeah it it's is open at oh. barracks road so there's one at barracks road and then there's one at ix park Ooh, i need to go to the barracks road one <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Cheese and rice, Lynn. I was <laughs> sipping my drink and I was choked <laughs> trying to annoy Rose. So how's your week been, Rose? Um, amazing. Yeah. My son Joseph is um in was well, he was in regional regionals for soccer, high school soccer. Mm-hmm. And they won in an amazing, amazing game last night. They went to PKs, Joseph's a goalie. And no he, stress there for mom. He saved, I know, I was <laughs> thought I was going to have a heart attack. He saved two of the goals and um, they won. So, so they amazing. go on to state. And you said the team they were playing was really, really good. Yeah, the team they were playing was really good. So, so it was zero, it was like nil-nil, right? Yeah, At the, the end. whole time. So they oh go, They it was zero-zero up until the end. They went into two five-minute overtimes. Like golden goal, right? No, so the first oh. one was... Just overtime, like regular overtime okay. for two five-minute halves. And then the second two five, there was another two five-minute halves. Uh-huh. That was golden goal. Oh, my God. That's And so then they go to stressful. PKs. I know. I didn't think. We, I mean, the game oh started at 6, and it was like 8.45 before we got oh out of there. God. And you had the kids with you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did um, Was there a lot of shots on goal in the overtime? Um, Not really. We actually had a couple... Oh really? Um, during overtime, um, but yeah, there weren't like a ton of shots on goal the whole game. Like it was pretty. I even. mean, we we didn't play. It wasn't our best game. We, everyone was kind of tired because most of the boys had a tournament in. Oh, for Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, for right. Memorial Day weekend for their travel teams. Yeah. So, um, the like the it was kind of like. The energy was low. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of people there, which was really weird. Because the yeah, other night, the, there were tons of people. Yeah, the stands were empty. It was so bizarre. I don't know. Well, the only other thing I can figure is that, well, no, there was a baseball game going on at the same time. Yeah, so a lot of the baseball people were standing over there watching. Right. Like, at the fence, because it's on the other side of the field. Yeah. So, um, But then, like, did, so last time, the girls played first. And then the boys played, remember? So maybe that's why there were a lot yeah, last maybe time. Cause, yeah, because yeah, and, and the game was earlier, so maybe a lot of people... No, it was it was later. It was like at 9 no, o'clock. No, I mean, this oh, game this was time. Yeah, earlier. It's so weird, because you think, if anything... If, yeah, I, I know. know. I don't know. It but, was weird. But the whole energy in the whole place was weird. I don't know if it's because it's more serious, because it's a... Like, a regional game More like serious yeah. game, you know? It's weird. More important game. I don't know. But, um, so, just so you guys know, Joseph is a very very like quiet kid he's really quiet and you know he smiles all the time he smiles a lot i mean every time i see him he's smiling it's because he sees me and he's like i love lynn but um (laughs) he's really quiet and and pretty shy very shy 
And so he doesn't, you know, you don't see him really get excited about stuff. Like he's just like, yeah. you know, he's just yeah. like very shy. Totally, he's and total introvert. Yeah. And so there was a little interview with him on the news and he was so excited. It made me cry when I watched it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, because he just like the excitement coming I out know, of his he body. He was so excited. And I said, like I said to Rose last night, I was like, isn't that what we live for? Like to see our children that happy. I know. There's nothing was, better in yeah, the whole entire really world. Amazing. And he was just like, like, I mean, I, I'm so proud of him for like, doing what he did and saving those goals because it's pretty amazing to save PKs. You have a 50-50 chance. Yeah, I mean, not, not, not even a 50-50. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. Like, they seem like they were so close to the goal when they're shooting. But, um, so I was proud of him for doing that, but I was just so happy that he was so happy. Yeah. That he it was, was like, It was yeah, amazing. He was, oh my God, the whole, everyone was talking about him. And today everyone's like Aww. texting us and um, emailing and stuff about... Because he was on the news, so. Yeah, it was, it very, was just amazing. Very cute. very cute. It was just, oh, it was like warmed my little heart. I know. He's a sweetheart. He is a sweetheart. So, you ready to hear about, who? you ready to hear about my I am. lady I'm that I'm going to tell you all about? Well, in light of the tragic news, what was it, a week ago? Two Probably, weeks ago? No, I think it was last week. Last week. I'm going to tell you guys about Tina Turner. So, I was like, why don't I do her? It's you know a perfect what's so time. weird? I was listening to, I think not, with Ellen and Joey. Oh, okay. The podcast. And literally, I had just gotten the, the alert, like CNN alert, that Tina Turner had died. And then they started talking about Tina Turner. Like, and obviously, it's recorded way ahead of time. Yeah. It was they just so happened to talk weird. About they her? just happened to like, oh, that's bring her up. Really weird. It was really weird, and everyone was in the Facebook group like, "What did you guys do to Tina Turner? You that's killed her." So creepy. It was so weird. That's but it was it was like how close it was to when I listened was was very strange. That's even weird. Because they were talking about her like she was alive, you know. Yeah. Obviously. Oh yeah. Well, she, she was, was when they were talking, yeah. probably. Oh my god. So in the small town of Nutbush, Tennessee. <laughs> There's so many jokes I can make about that. No kidding. <laughs> um, a little girl named Anna May Bullock was born on November 26, 1939. Little did the world know, Rose, that this girl would grow up to become an extraordinary woman, uh, an extraordinary woman. <laughs> sorry, woman, woman known to the world as Tina Turner. That's so funny because you did. Eleanor Roosevelt, and she was also Anna, wasn't she? But she didn't go by Anna. Oh, I think so. She was Anna Maybe. Eleanor Roosevelt, I think. How weird. I didn't even think People about that. People must not like that name. I don't know. Well, it wasn't that she went by Anna for most of her life. Oh. Um, so Tina's childhood was marked by both challenging circumstances, but also the foundation of her future resilience. She was raised in a modest household by her parents, Zelma and Floyd Richard Bullock. Within her family, Anna Mae found comfort with the rich musical heritage that surrounded her. Her mother, Zelma, was a factory worker by day and an amateur singer by night. And her father, Floyd, played the harmonica and was a Baptist deacon, farm overseer, and factory worker. Holy shit. I know. He's busy. Yeah. This exposure to music sparked Anna Mae's love for singing and performing from an early age. She experienced firsthand the hardships and inequalities faced by African-Americans. Nutbush being a small rural town was deeply rooted in segregated society. Despite these circumstances, she attended Flag Grove School, a one-room school for only black children. So she was actually yeah. fortunate enough to be able to go what to school. What year was she born? Um, 30? What did I say, 36? I don't know. I wasn't listening. 39. Um, so she, yeah, so she was able to attend school, which was good. Um, sadly, it was a segregated school, so that's just of course, awful. Yeah. Um, in the late 1960s, the school was no longer used as a school building and instead was used as a barn or a corn crib. So they, I guess, because they, at that point, they had segregated schools. Segre yeah. yeah. Yeah, they had mixed the schools. That's segregation. No, that's segregation is when you pull them apart. Uh, yeah, they had unsegregated. No, what is it called? There's a name for it. Um, oh my god, why can I think of it? Okay, so everyone was going to one school, so they didn't need that schoolhouse anymore. How about that? So, <laughs> what? Well, I can't think I of the word. Think of it That's going to drive me absolutely crazy. So, 
In 2012, with the help of Tina, the school-slash-barn was moved to a local museum to restore the structure and open the school as an interpretive center for early African-American education and to honor the heritage and legacies of its former students, including Anna Mae. In January 2014, Tina announced her contributions to the project, including a financial donation and memorabilia from her career. So due to her generosity, it became the Tina Turner Museum at Flag Grove School. Oh, that's sweet. A collection of costumes, gold records, and more uh, will be on display for all to see at no charge. Isn't that cool? That is really cool. She wanted this to be a strong message to young people on the importance of education. And no matter what your circumstances, it's possible to achieve your dreams and success in life. So even though Anna Mae's parents had a horribly abusive relationship, she was devastated when her parents separated. Her mother left, and her sis- and she and her sister. Um, let me back up. Sorry, her mother left her and her sister with their father and moved to St. Louis. It wasn't long before her father decided he couldn't handle it anymore, Rose. Because you know that's so weird. It's just like, um, who did I do? Um, Aretha Franklin. No, did I do Aretha Franklin? No, it was uh, the. It was. Um, it was. If you're talking about like going to live with the grandparents, that was. Um, Maya Angelou. No. I did someone and who... You did Aretha Franklin. Did I do Aretha Franklin? Yeah. Yeah, she was the same thing. Oh. Her parents split up and then her mother moved. Remember that she moved with like one of her kids and then... Oh, left the other one. She would come back and visit or something. I don't know. It it seriously sounds exactly the same. Well, I did Maybe I already did Tina Turner. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, her father decided he couldn't handle raising two girls alone, so he sent them to live with their grandmother in Brownsville, Tennessee. At this point, Tina was 11 years old. She felt completely abandoned by her parents. Um, but it was during this time that Anna May's grandmother instilled a strong work ethic and discipline, teaching her the importance of perseverance and, perseverance and determination. So when Anna May was young, a teenager, she and her sister joined her mother in St. Louis following her grandmother's death. Oh, no. Tina never felt like her mother loved her. Her mother always doubted her success. This is really fucked up. Throughout her life, when she would accomplish huge milestones, her mother would ask her who did this for her. And when she replied that she had done it by herself, her mother would shake her head in disbelief and shrug it off. She'd be like, who did this for you? Like, she bought her mom a car. And her mom's like, who who did this for you? And she's like, Mama, I did it. I did it. And she was like, no, who did it for you? Like, she knew how successful she was. Like she, But she was trying her, to take all the credit? She, no, she just no, she just wouldn't admit oh, that her daughter did it herself. Oh. She she's thought like, somebody was, like, buying it? Yeah, she's like that somebody was giving it to what the Tina fuck? to give to her. It was really for her mother. Yeah. So she, like, in her memoir, she talks a lot about this. Um, she sang in the church choir, and as she blossomed and into her later teens, she immersed herself in the St. Louis R&B scene. Before the launch of her career, Anna Mae started out as a home health aide and nursing aide at the Barnes Jewish Hospital. That's a tough job. I know. I was yeah. a CNA. You make no money and you do all the dirty, dirty it's work. It's actually, you know, it's it's a very rewarding job. Like, I actually really... Is it? You think? I'll tell you, when I went to CNA school, I um, didn't realize what like exactly you had to do mm-hmm. and then when i found out i was like oh my god like i could not imagine doing those things yeah and you just get it's like you get it you start doing it and it's just like normal like it, yeah it becomes part of your job you yeah and it's it. like you don't really think about it it's like changing your baby's diaper yeah like that first one you're like oh my god like what am i doing yeah, yeah. and then yeah. after a while it's just like throw them on the floor and do it uh, rose <laughs> i don't know like that Slam them down on the yeah, floor. Yeah, slam the old people on the floor. I mean, that's great. Let's let's give a let's give a shout out to the place you worked at. <laughs> but no, it was seriously one of the most rewarding jobs because you really, really get to know people. Yeah, because you're doing like do the most intimate things for them, and yeah, and you're you're really yeah, yeah you're, you're really. really and doing, I mean, yeah. and yeah, I, it's I I've always missed that aspect of it, like that bond you get with people and they're like relying on you for everything yeah. And, and yeah and they're I, so I mean, vulnerable to you too right it's, and, yeah yeah it's, that makes sense it, it is an amazing relationship that's cool yeah so around this time so anime- watch what you say okay bitch, bitch. Around this time, Anna Marie's sister was taking her to several nightclubs in the city. One night at the Manhattan Club in East St. Louis, and the East St. Louis is actually in Illinois and not in Missouri. Oh. 
Anna May met Mississippi-born rhythm and blues musician Ike Turner. Oh. He was playing with his band, Kings of Rhythm. After the show, she asked him if she could sing for him. She was only 17. He was initially was very skeptical, but he had seen her in the audience dancing, and he, he was like, like in total awe of her dancing. Really? Yeah. She's like electrified when she danced. But much after, so she like nagged him and nagged him, and he finally let her sing for him, and he was mesmerized by her performance and her energetic dancing that he had seen before. That's what he like. He said later that's what made him give her the chances. Her dancing just blew him away. Wow. He couldn't believe how powerful her voice was. By the age of eighteen, Anna May became an occasional vocus vocalist on Ike's show. Uh, going by the name Little Anne. Anna May was also the spotlight of a soul review uh, led by Ike Turner and his Kings of Rhythm band. It wasn't long before Anna May started dating the band saxophone player Raymond Hill. Oh. She was a senior in high school and quickly became pregnant with her first child, oh. Raymond Craig, in 1958. How old was he? Like uh, they didn't say. or if they'd, I didn't see that. Things didn't work out with Hill, so Anna Mae moved into Ike's home on East St. Louis, in East St. Louis, after they began dating. Soon after that, they had their first child together, and his name was Ronnie. In 1960, when a singer scheduled to record the song A Fool in Love with the Kings of Rhythm was a no-show on the set, Anna Mae stepped in and recorded the vocals instead. Oh, wow. A Fool in Love was a huge R&B hit reaching number two, crossing over into the top 30 of the U.S. pop chart. That's so amazing. So it was like in the R&B chart and in the top chart, which wow. is like, yeah, at that time it was unheard of for I things just heard, to cross over. Um, I did a run this morning and there was a Tina Turner and Ike Turner song. Mm-hmm. Um, which one was it? Fuck, I can't remember. Come on, Rose. I was like half asleep. Well, I'll name them later. You might remember it. Yeah. So they quick, um, so at this point Ike changed Anna Mae's name to Tina Turner and that of his band to the Ike and Tina Turner Review. In 1962, the two got married in Tijuana, Mexico. Wait, he, she married Ike? Yeah. You were not paying attention because you were on your phone. I know, but I just got cute pictures of Lily at the pool. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I had to look at him. Um, so she moved. She and things didn't work out with, oh, Raymond. The, with the other guy. So she ended up moving in with... Ike, oh, okay. and they started okay. dating, or they started dating, and she moved in. And they ended up having a baby. Okay. Oh, so oh, so they had. Okay. She had a second baby in 1962. The two married in Tijuana. Man, I missed a lot in those. You like, sure did. <laughs> that like 30 seconds. Grief. They. Qu- I almost called you out. I almost said something really stupid to see if you noticed. They, <laughs> <laughs> they quickly became a blended family. Tina adopted Ike's two sons from a previous marriage, and Ike in turn adopted Raymond Craig, the her first oh, son. Okay. Throughout the 60s and the 70s, Tina and Ike rose to stardom. Times and music, musical styles were changing, and they were right in the middle of the change. Tina developed a unique stage persona, which thrilled the audience of the group's lives concert, live concerts. Tina and the Review's backup singers, the Ikeettes, wove intricate <laughs> and electrifying dance routines into their performances and influenced many other artists, including Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. So he, like, she she danced with him. Like, she helped him learn how to dance. Did she? Isn't that crazy? That was probably hard. So she... <laughs> <laughs> so um, Tina and Ike's relationship was tumultuous. The physical abuse was becoming more regular and more violent. Oh, no. She felt like she had no way out, so she tried to take her own life in 1968. <gasps> By overdosing on Valium. Valium. After learning after learning that Ike had cheated on her with three women in the same night. Boo. Fucker. Probably wasn't the first time. Ugh. So disgusting. Ike found Tina and stuck his fingers down her throat on the way to the hospital. In 1969, they toured <coughs> as the opening act for the Rolling Stones. Wait, why did he stick his finger down her throat? <laughs> Rose, where are you? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Rose, are you here? <laughs> I was listening that time. She OD'd. Oh, okay. I totally missed that. I think I'm I was probably thinking about carrying this fucking podcast on my shoulders. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm sorry. I'm going to make you take Adderall next time. I know. So in 1969, they toured as the opening act for the Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. Like, how cool is that? Quickly gaining a dedicated fan base. I mean, that had to be like, I can't even imagine. That's, That's so what... interesting. I wouldn't think that they would... 
because they were considered like R and B was turning like the music was changing, and so like they were considered like she's she's considered like a rock and roll star, not really? an R and B star, more so rock and roll. Because okay. think about the stuff she sings, the way she jumps around yeah. stage, she's more like rock and roll. It's crazy. So. Their popularity was rekindled in 1971 with the release of the album album Working Together. Working together day to day. I think that's the song. I don't Talking know. Talking it over, just the two of us. I think that's you the song. You sound just like her. I know, don't I? Um, together, together. Anyway. I don't so, know that song at all. Which featured that, well, my parents play that. You wouldn't, wouldn't even have been born yet. It would, it's... It featured a renowned slow to fast remake remake of the Credence Clearwater Revival track Proud Mary. <laughs> Proud Mary. So which reached the top five in the US charts and won the won the group their first Grammy. Wow. Yeah. They recorded the album Deep uh, I'm sorry, they recorded the album River Deep, Mountain High. Ain't no, no mountain high enough. Ain't, ain't no, no river. Yeah, that one. I know with, that one. With recorder uh, with record producer oh my god. I fucking with record producer Phil Spector. The track was unsuccessful in the United States, believe it or not. It's a popular song. Really? But became a huge, huge hit in the top five in England and brought Ike and Tina a new fame. That's interesting. In it, I mean, it's a everyone knows that song now. Yeah. I who knows? I mean, it just depends, I guess. They were becoming more and more known for their electrifying live performances without accumulating a ton of chorus corresponding hits. They just had a handful of a very small amount of hits. Okay, Rose it's is ain't swing. no mountain high enough. Ain't no If there's glass in here, it would be breaking, but there's no windows. <laughs> I was just thinking the, the um, tone you had was wrong. Oh. And so I was going over I it in my head. I freestyling, Rose. Thank you. Yeah, it was awful. Yours was awful, too. No, mine was good. Oh, it was? Okay. Mm. Okay. Someone's going to listen to this and no offer me... No, that's no. not it. That's not it. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't... No, that's no, not it either. No, you're totally off. It's ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me away from you. To keep me from... I thought it was to keep me from something with you. To keep me away from you? To keep me... Away from you no probably idea. is it. Anyway. Okay. So between 1960 and 1975, Ike and Tina had 20 songs on the Billboard 200 and top R&B albums Holy charts. shit. That's a lot. Yeah. In the 1970s, a friend had introduced Tuna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I almost drank my drink. <laughs> I'm glad I did it. <laughs> Tuna. <laughs> oh, God. I told you all these margaritas are yeah. all the... <laughs> I don't even feel like I have a buzz, but now I'm like, I'm just dead. I'm dead. <laughs> I don't know why I said tuna. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> In the 1970s, a friend had introduced Tina to... Nahirin Shaoshi uh, Buddhism. Nahirin Shaoshi, Shaoshi Buddhism, from which she found peace in the rituals of chanting. She adhered to the teachings of the Soka uh, Guki uh, Gaike, Gaike uh, International, the largest Buddhist organization consisting of about 12 million Nahirin Buddhist practi- practitioners. Can Buddhists so, drink? No, I don't. I I don't. I think when she started um, doing Buddhism, she stopped drinking. Oh. I was gonna say I should become a Buddhist, but yeah, can't do that. <laughs> then in 1975, Tina appeared on her first in her first film, playing the Acid Queen in the Who's Tommy. I don't know. I've never heard of that. While Tina experienced success and recognition as part of Ike and Tina Turner review, her personal relationship was dominated by Ike's controlling and abusive behavior. She endured years of physical and emotional abuse, finding peace, strength, and mental escape through her dedication to music. Tina knew Ike was a fighter. He fought everyone. He fought and hit men, women. She was his wife, but he was sleeping with anyone else, and she knew it. That's sad. 
when he was going to beat her, he would use his hands. He would not use his hands, only an object, because, you know, he couldn't hurt his hands because he played the guitar and, you know, ultimately hurt his career. So he would beat her with other things. What a dick. Yeah. She didn't feel like she could leave. She felt stuck. Now she looks back and knows how ridiculous he was. She now understands how everyone around, well, she knew. She's not alive anymore. Knew how everyone around him knew how ridiculous he was. And everyone was just like blowing smoke up his ass because he was like Turner. That's so, like, that's so hard because she, they worked together. Yeah. And like they were like a package deal. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole aspect of marriage. I mean, that must have been really hard to leave. Well, it's, it's amazing when you look back in parts of your life and you know this very well, too. And you're like, why did I put up with that? He was such an asshole. And yeah, everyone knew right. it. Everyone pretended like he was an asshole or she wasn't a whoever. Yeah. But, I mean, it's amazing when we look back on our on things we've settled for. Well, and then did. he was probably also saying, like, you can't do this without me. I'm oh, the I'm abs- the reason that you're famous or whatever. Absolutely. But really, she's the better one. She felt stuck. She totally yeah. did. I mean. So in 1976, after years of enduring the abuse, abusive dynamics of the relationship, Tina found the strength to leave Ike. Good job. The decision to break free from the toxic environment marked a turning point in her life. Through a journey to independence would not be without its challenges. The two were headed to Dallas for a show when Ike started slapping her in the car on the way to the hotel from the airport. She tried to tell him to stop like she like was yelled back at him, which she never really did, um, hoping it would work. And it it didn't work at all. To no avail, he continued to slap her. Once they arrived at the hotel, she he. Um, she stated in her documentary that he beat her more this time with a wooden shoe stretcher. Do you know what that is? Like those things you put in your shoe to keep the, the <coughs> no, shape? It's, it's, yeah, well, it keeps the shape, but you can also, there's like a metal bar that goes through the middle that you can turn up or oh, down okay. to like stretch your shoes if you want to stretch them out. So it's like metal and wood. Oh, my God. And he beat her with a metal shoe, shoe, shoe stretcher. Holy shit. And afterward, as usual, which she said, he made her have sex with him <gasps> after he was done oh. beating the shit out of her. She waited for him to fall asleep, and she said, I was just, like, rubbing his arm until he fell asleep and pretending like nothing was wrong, and she fled from the hotel room. She grabbed her small carry-on bag and saw a Ramada across the freeway from where they were. Like, it was, yeah. like, a, a main highway. And she ran across the highway, and she almost got struck by a tractor trailer, and she walked into the Ramada Inn. Now, mind you, her face is all swollen, bloody, oh cut, God. and everything. And she asked to speak with the manager. She had 36 cents and a mobile gas credit card. And that was all she had on her. So he probably didn't give her any money, right? No, she, it was, I'm sure she had. Yeah. I mean, she didn't have anything but a mobile gas, gas credit card. Like, he probably kept all the cash, you know, and he was like, act, probably acted like a pimp or something. Yeah. She asked to speak to the manager. She told him who she was and that she was trying to leave her abusive husband. And if he could give her a room, she promised that she would pay him back. The manager gave her a room that oh, night. Oh, that's sweet. And this was the beginning of a new life for Tina. Could you imagine? If he would have turned her away, she probably <sighs> would have had to go back. And, like, that guy really... Uh, he changed saved her, her life. life. Yeah. And he it was a man, saved, which is surprising. Yeah. And I mean, he absolutely saved her life. Yeah. Because she, he probably would have killed her at some point. Right. Or she because, would have, or she would have killed herself. Right. Or yeah, she would have just kept putting, like had, yeah. had to have gone back and then she would have talked herself out of leaving again because yeah. it's already failed once. But she did it. I mean, she still faced numerous professional and personal setbacks though, Rose. She had found herself burdened with debt and struggling to rebuild her career as a solo artist. You know, because, you know, they were a package. So it was she was trying to figure out yeah. how to do this on her own. She didn't have, you know, she didn't have a manager. She didn't. She was just trying to figure it out. And I'm sure he controlled everything oh, when I'm they sure. were together. Especially back then. Yeah. I mean, just by, based on the kind of guy he was, like what, what right. I learned about him and that times. Oh, absolutely. And then I'm sure also he was like dragging her name through the mud at oh, the yeah. same time. Oh, I'm sure. So to make ends meet and to care for her children, she used food stamps and even cleaned houses. Wow. But she also continued to perform in lower-profile venues and make guest appearances on other artists' records, though not achieving any notable success initially. No. Her tenacity and unparalleled talent, unparalleled talent eventually caught the attention of record executive Roger Davies, who became her manager and played a pivotal role in her comeback. No. Oh. After, seri- after a series of guest appearances on albums of other artists, she released her debut so- solo album, and you'll remember this, Private Dancer in 1984. I'm your private dancer, dancing for money, do what you want me to do. I don't know that song, <laughs> but I enjoyed that Kevin lot. Costner was in a movie, Bodyguard, the movie Bodyguard. 
I think that's what uh, it's from. You know, I've never watched that. Oh, well, it's one of the ones I'm like always telling myself I've you to need watch. to watch it. So it was this. Uh, it was the. <laughs> <laughs> it was a success, both critically and commercially, selling more than 20 million copies worldwide and winning three Gramming awards. Grammy. Gramming. Gramming. <laughs> Instagramming awards. Wow, she was really ahead of her time. She was ahead of her time, including Record of the Year and Best Female Vocal Performance for What's Love Got to Do With It? Oh, I know that one. What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second hand emotion? I, I think I, I, I love that one. Yeah. So the single became Tina's signature song. Oh, yeah. As you know. Beyond her musical achievements, her personal journey of self-discovery and empowerment became an, ins- in- became an inspiration to many. She became an advocate for survivors of abuse, using her own experience to raise awareness and support for those who have suffered similar traumas. Oh, I didn't know that about her. Yeah, I didn't know it either. I mean, it makes sense, but... Yeah. As she reclaimed her voice and her independence, she continued to captivate audiences with her soulful performances, magnetic stage presence, and unwavering spirit. The years that followed witnessed a string of successes for Tina. She released a series of highly successful albums, including Break Every Rule in 1986, A Foreign Affair in 1989, which produced hits like Typical Male and The Best. And I wonder if The Best, if that is that one, Simply The Best. Uh, yeah, I bet that is. Yeah, I okay. love that song yeah. from. Um, they sang it in Schitt's Creek. Did you watch Schitt's, Schitt's Creek? Of course, I watched Schitt's Creek, but I don't remember them singing that. What? That's like the best episode I... when he sings it to his boyfriend. Oh yeah, because I was going to say no. The best the episode shop. is when he's singing to his boyfriend. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> That's like the, it makes me cry every time. Lo- and so he's just sweet. like he's like all, and then he's like, <gasps> he's I such a good actor so too. It's very good. Yeah. So her electrifying performances and outstanding stage shows became legendary, solidifying her reputation as an exceptional live performer. I mean, I don't know if you like recall ever seeing her like on TV and her, she's she was fucking nuts. She would like run around that would stage. She? Yeah. Like and really her don't. legs were like, yeah. I remember always like even when she was 70 and performing, her legs were phenomenal. They were flawless. Really? Oh my gosh. Tina's success extended beyond the music industry. In 1985, she landed a prominent role in the film. You know what film this is, Rose? No? Why are you looking who's at me like... Who's talking now? Who's talking Look who's now? talking. <laughs> Look who's talking. <laughs> Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I've never heard of that. that. Was, Sorry, I'm so young and beautiful, Lynn. It was 1985, Rose. That's when I was born. Do you think I was watching movies when I was born? Probably. Do you think I popped out and started watching movies? I mean, nobody babysat you, so I'm sure that's all you did. <laughs> we didn't even have a TV, Lynn. We had to play in the yard. <laughs> oh, that's where you found that doll, the dead doll. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she starred along, alongside Mel Gibson. Her portrayal of the character Auntie Enti- Entity showcased her versatility as entertainer leading to further recognition in the world of acting one year later she published her autobiography i tina which would later be adapted as the 1993 film what's love got to do with it starting angela bassett as tina and lawrence fishburne as ike do you remember seeing that no that's intense is it yeah i what's mean it about? there's a lot of sex no, it's, it's 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 all about Tina Turner's life. Oh, the, like abuse. It was written from her autobiography, oh, but it, Angela Bassett plays her plays Tina Turner and like the abuse that she suffered from Mike and stuff. It's very stressful to watch. What's it called? Um, the autobiography is I Tina, but the sh- the movie was called What's Love Got to Do with It. Oh, okay, maybe I'll watch it. During every interview, Tina was haunted by constant questions about her ex husband. People continue to ask about Ike, even. After she had a huge solo success. I mean, she's doing all this great yeah, stuff on right. her own. And they'd bring up the same old stuff over and over every time. She'd sit in an interview and they would be like, um, they'd be like, okay, so about your time with Ike. And she and she would, like, there's one point and she looked and she goes, so we're going to bring that up, huh? And, and they're like, Did, have you seen, so you watched the movie? And she said, no. And they're like, you haven't watched it? And she said, no. Oh, did she have nothing to do with the movie? No, I'm sure she... I don't know. She must have handed over rights or something, but she oh, didn't watch it because it was just a it was just a repeat of all the trauma she had yeah, been through. Like, right. why is yeah, she going to watch yeah, no, that? No, totally. I totally get that. So her um, her former manager said we couldn't stop it. 
in the documentary they did with her on HBO, um, she said, I didn't love that it was always talked about. Um, explaining, like she said in this footage, in this documentary, she explained why she hadn't seen the movie based on her life because yeah. she was not going to. She's like, no, I don't. Why would I want to watch myself get beaten all over again? Right. I mean, why Why would you want to live like the most traumatic yeah. point of, part of your life? Right. So no matter who the interview was with, it was or it was what it was scheduled to be talked about, they always brought up Ike. She was trying so hard to put this trauma behind her, and people kept bringing it right back up at the surface. In the year 1986, also saw the release of Turner's second solo album, Break Every Rule, chronicling unfilled desire, unfulfilled desire with two brainy romantic interests. The track was yet another hit for Tina, reaching number two on the pop charts. Wow. That must be frustrating. It doesn't go to number one. (laughs) That would be frustrating. Tina Live in Europe followed in 1988 and won the Grammy for Female Rock Vocal Performance. For an Affair in 1989, which included the top 20 single, The Best, which outdid Private Dancer in worldwide sales. Wow. I believe that. Yeah. The following decade, Tina released Wildest Dreams in 1996, featuring her cover of John Waite's Missing You. And 24-7 in 1999, she also made several recordings for film soundtracks, including the James Bond title song, Goldeneye. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that either. Which was a UK top 10 hit. And he lives in you for The Lion King 2. She wrote that. I didn't. I don't don't know that song at all. No, I don't. I don't think I watched The Lion King. Uh, That's what I was thinking. I don't think I saw it either. So these tours attracted sold-out crowds and showcased Tina's unwavering energy and stage presence, proving that age was no barrier in her ability to captivate audiences. Yeah, because she's like... So this is like... So in 1991... um, So these these tours were like 1999, we'll say was the last one. She was born in... What are they, 59? 39. So she was... Wait, I said she was born in 15. 39? So she was 60. And she was like rocking, doing 60 you, years old. Could you do that? Rose, I can't even run up a soccer field one time without having <laughs> needing a, a fucking, you know, a inhaler or something. <laughs> so in 1991, Ike and Tina Turner were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ike was unable to attend the ceremony. You want to know why? Did she break him, break his legs? No. He break was in jail. <laughs> was he really? For what? Beating a woman? He was serving time in prison for drug possession. Good. Which I think is I think is so funny that she got to take that all by herself without him. That's just kind of like little, very, very... But like, it probably also pissed her off that he wasn't included at all. But... I, yeah. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, it was probably for stuff that they'd done earlier, though, together. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah. But... I mean, I just think it's funny that she had to take that by herself. I thought it was, I think it's kind of definitely a karma move. So outside of her professional endeavors, Tina experienced personal fulfillment as she found love and happiness in a relationship with a German music executive, Erwin Bach. Oh. The couple began dating in the 80s. Their their romance was somewhat of a storybook tale. Bach was sent to pick Tina up from the airport in Germany. She was coming in to do a show. She got off the plane and saw a sign with her name on it. And she looked at the sign. She looked at it and she said, who's this? Well, she didn't say this exactly, but this is the way I interpreted it. Who's this hot guy looking at me uh, holding my name on a piece of paper? (laughs) She's like, he is gorgeous. She said, (laughs) she immediately locked eyes with him and said she got that feeling like tingling all over her. She said for the first time in her life, she felt love at first sight. Wow. She looked back at one point and said she probably shouldn't have let herself think about romance as it never ended well for her. But she listened to her heart and felt comfort in his presence. Irwin later said in an interview that he didn't feel an immediate connection as he was preoccupied by work. He was like, you know, I'm doing this. You know, it was like, yeah, right. And although he was in a car with a world famous woman, he didn't feel nervous and he wondered why. Like, just like he felt really relaxed around her. Soon after, in 1985, Irwin got wind that Tina was attracted to him. And want, and she wanted him to come see her. And so he visited her in the U.S. And she was in Nashville at the time. While he was in Nashville. Now, she's much younger than him. I want to say she, uh, older. I want to say she's like 20, over 20 years older wow. than him, around Holy 20 crap. years older. While she was in Nashville and he came to see her, she told him, when you visit me next time, it will be in Los Angeles. I want you to make love to me. <laughs> She was telling Oprah the story, and she had the biggest grin on her face. And How he old was, was she? shocked. She in eighty five. 
so this was 85, so around 85, so 39. 45. No. What? 49, 59, 69, 39, 89. Oh, yeah, so 45. <laughs> um, I have to get count on my finger, Shell. <laughs> so, um, so... He was shocked when she said that. He was like, oh, my God, <laughs> right? Like, she was just so forward. Yeah, you know, right. After you're 40, you don't care about this stuff anymore. You just say what you want to say. And, you know. Oh, is that when it would have come? Yeah. Believe it or not, he did go visit her in L.A. <laughs> I bet he did. It's probably on the next flight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she loved how different he was from any other man she'd ever met. He was calm, laid back, comfortable, unpretentious. And she said, oh, so handsome. And he probably didn't hit her. Yeah, he didn't hit her. In her documentary... Um, Irwin said, it's love. It's something we both have for each other. I always refer to it as an electrical charge. I still have it, even though when I left her two hours ago, I still have that feeling. It's in my heart. I feel very warm about us. No, He that's said so that. Sweet. Isn't that so sweet? See, I did, guys. And they're like, Lynn? Who's Lynn? Five minutes after I walk away. <laughs> so, whatever. So, after her, um, around her 50th birthday. It's okay. I feel warm in my heart for you. Thank you. Know. It's just because it's hot in this room. <laughs> around her 50th birthday, Erwin proposed to Tina. She was weary of getting married because her former trauma made her feel like marriage meant control and she didn't want to be controlled again. She was, you know, she was in this yeah, really great no place shit. in her life. Yeah. She told him that she was not saying yes or no, but she couldn't answer him. But the poor guy had to be devastated. <laughs> He's probably so confused. I like, know. What the fuck does that mean? She was just really scared. She was just really scared no, about I totally getting that control. No, I totally get it from her perspective. Because yeah. after I got divorced, I was like, fuck that. Yeah. She was so scared by her past life that she didn't really believe Irwin was, commi- Irwin was committed to even to her, even though he proved it to her over and over again. And yeah. he did nothing to make her think otherwise. But she still doubted it on a regular basis. And that's just past trauma. Years later, she changed her mind and said yes. No. In 1995, when Tina was 57 years old, the couple moved to Zurich, Switzerland. Interesting. Tina loved Switzerland. She loved everything about the country, the people, the landscape, the community, the way in which everyone in the country cares about the earth and the environment. Like, everybody's just so conscious about each other. It's it's supposed to be great there. I'd love to go. In a profile for the New York Times reporter, Amanda Hess described the couple's home, which is named, oh, this is an interesting name, Chateau Iaguana. Iaguana. Gonja. It's it's Gonja? pronounced A L. It's spelled A L O N Q U I N. And I what the did fuck? it on a pronoun- pronunciation thing, and it was Ayaguanja. Ayaguanja. What does it mean? I don't know. So what the she fuck, just. I, I didn't look up the meaning. I just looked up the pronunciation. Jesus. Rose. You maybe you maybe record a day early. Remember? Oh, so that's what you were gonna do with your your extra, extra twenty four hours. Yeah. <laughs> So this this uh, reporter described their house as having cartoon place energy. <laughs> the home, which overlooks Lake Zurich, has ivy snaking up the walls, gardeners manicuring the shrubs, and a life-size two-legged horse sculpture suspended from a dome ceiling. The frame rendering of Turner as an Egyptian queen and a room stuffed with gilded Louis... Uh, let's see, that's the... The 14th style sofas. So the house is like, like very extravagant. Why are you looking at me like that? What is a two-legged horse? A horse like on its, probably on its back legs, like rearing up. But he wouldn't be two-legged. He'd be four-legged. He's just on two legs. I don't know, Rose. I'm just. And it was suspended from the ceiling. Suspended from the ceiling. I don't know. Lynn, I need more, more I information. I just quoted what they said. I didn't, I didn't research. <laughs> I need a picture just, of that. <laughs> okay, I'll get a picture. In 2008, Tina embarked on her farewell tour. Appropriately, appropriately titled. How old is she at this point? Like seventy something. Finish. Oh, sorry. Appropriately titled Tina! Exclamation point. Fiftieth anniversary tour. The tour spanned several continents and was met with overwhelming acclaim and ador- ad- ador- adoration from fans worldwide. It became one of the highest-grossing tours of that year, a testament to Tina's enduring popularity and the lasting impact of her music. She was nearly 70 years old when she completed her final stage Holy shit. She said, no one knew how tired I was of singing and dancing. She said, it's work. I bet. Turner when told 70? Oprah. 70? Could you imagine? She said the successful tour allowed her to retire in peace. I wanted to retire and not worry. This is her saying. This is quoted from her. That it's... That it is what the tour did for me. I got my goal. I received it. At that moment's revelation of, this is it. 
I'm going home now. I was going back to a place I decided in my last stage that's where I wanted to be. Oh, that's good for her. In her book, My Love Story, she wrote about returning home with Irwin the day after her final show. She was quoted as saying, I knew this was it. I got up the next morning, didn't see anybody, boarded the plane with Irwin, sat there, still calm, resolute. I took a deep breath and told myself, I'm not going back. After residing in Switzerland for a number of years, Tina became a Swiss citizen in 2013. And shortly thereafter, she relinquished her U.S. citizenship. Isn't that about the time Donald Trump is running for president? I feel like anybody given the chance right now. Yeah, would get the hell out. I'd be like, sure, take it. I'll, I'll be a Swiss. When did he run for president? 20... I'm so bad with years and stuff like that. What year is it? Wasn't it 14? It was 2020, wasn't it? What? No. No, I'm sorry. 2016. Wasn't it 14? I don't fucking know. What year anyway. is it right now? <laughs> 23. So he... Yeah, in 2020, he ran against Biden. So he was... No, so... not 2020. 21? 22? Oh, no, girl. Anyway, okay. Oh, my God, I... What is wrong with my brain? I don't know. So that same year, the couple married in a private ceremony with all the guests dressed in white and Tina in a sparkly green and black tulle dress designed by Giorgio Armani. Wow. Their long-lasting partnership served as a source of stability and support throughout Tina's life. So they didn't get married to what? 20, 20, 2000 and... uh, in 2013, they got married. Jeez. After she retired, turn, Tina... Turn, Tuna? Tuna. <laughs> After she retired, Tina endured a slew of health difficulties. She survived intestinal cancer and a stroke. Then in December in 2016, she was diagnosed with kidney cancer. So at her wedding, she always would get this sharp pain in her chest. Yeah. And she didn't know what it was. And she had gone to the doctor about it and they didn't know what it was. They were like, is it like reflux? Is it like gas? Is it? They just didn't know what it was. And so at her wedding, her dress was a little bit too tight. Yeah. But she wanted it to be tight, so she looked like snatch or whatever. But so she snatch. snatched up, you know, nice and but she said it was too tight. And so right before the wedding was getting ready to start, um, she started having the pain. It was the worst that she'd ever had. And she had they had the wedding got started late because she had to, I guess, unzip the dress. I don't know. She said she was like couldn't walk down the yeah, aisle. She was wow. in so much pain. Um so it turned out that she ended up having a stroke not long after that. So they said she had had a stroke at, before, like, after the wedding. Like, she went in there like, you've had a very mild stroke. But yeah. she had had one. So she didn't know if that that's what that was at the wedding. Holy shit. Because she said the pain in her the pain in her chest was usually related to, like, high stress. Yeah. And so she was well, totally yeah, stressed out. Really yeah. Stressed so out. they think that that might have been when she had oh that many stroke. Oh, my God. Stroke. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So she said... I, after she found out she had the cancer in her kidney, she faced two choices. She said either regular dialysis or a kidney transplant. She wrote this in her story, or her book, My Love Story. Only the transplant would give me a good chance of a near normal life, but the chances of getting a donor kidney were remote. According to her memoir, she considered assisted suicide as her chances of survival were slim without a kidney transplant. That's where Erwin stepped in. He said he didn't want another woman or another life. Then he shocked me, she said, and he wanted to give me one of his kidneys. She was overwhelmed by the enormity of his offer. Like, she argued with him about it. She's like, no, you're too young. You know, what if yeah. something happens to you? And I don't want to do this. Take this for me. And he was like, I don't want any other life but the life I have with you. So I don't, I want to give this to you. I feel so like if that was me and Chris, I'd be like, give me one of your fucking kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> you, shut up and take off your pants. Like, that wouldn't even be a question, you know? <laughs> I know. Like, in the same, if he got, if I could donate my kidney to I know, him, I would, but... Their age difference, I guess, is what making her feel like... Yeah, no, I know. totally get that. she but... knew that she was going to die before him. I'd totally be like... Well, yeah, because she was already, like, in her yeah, 70s. Yeah. yeah. So, in her later years, later years, Tina has taken a step back from the public eye, enjoying a well-deserved retirement and focusing on her health and happiness. Her legacy, however, remains ever-present as her music continues to inspire and uplift audiences across the globe. Retiring to the spotlight in two, good God, Lynn. Returning to the spotlight in 2018, Turner was honored with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, alongside other industry industry legends like Neil Diamond and Emmy Lou Harris, to open the year an eventful one for the 78-year-old. Jeez. That March, Tina revealed that she had forgiven her ex-husband for his abusive behavior years ago. She was quoted as saying, "As an old person, I have forgiven him, but it would not work." But it would not work. 
but it but it would not work with him. Wait a minute. As an old person, she said, I've forgiven him, but it would not work with him. She said in an interview with the Times of London, he asked for one more tour with me. And I said, no, absolutely Good not. Good for her. Ike wasn't someone you could forgive and allow him back in. Good for her. Yeah. I mean, she had so Is much. Is dead? Yeah. She had so much, so much clout on her own. She, why would she oh, even yeah. go back with like, him? Yeah, like he wanted her because no, he because, wanted. Right. Yeah. He, he needed her at that point. Absolutely. She didn't need him. In 2018, um, her in her memoir, The Love Story, she wrote, he threw hot coffee in my face, giving me third degree oh burns. He used my nose as a punching bag so many times that I could taste blood running down my throat when I sang. Jesus. And he was quoted as saying, sure, I've slapped Tina. We've had fights. There have been times when I punched her in punched her to the ground without thinking. He wrote in his 1999 autobiography, taken back my name, the confessions of Ike Turner. But, but I never beat her yet. Yeah, but. But I never beat her. I yeah. just punched her. And we got in fights. I slapped her and I punched her, but I never beat her. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. The bruises on her face would tell differently. And then in, throwing hot coffee in her face? Yeah, that's like, not beating her, Rose. What the fuck? Then in April, fans retreated to a showcase of their greatest hits with the opening of Tina, the Tina Turner musical at Aldwych Theatre in London. It opened on Broadway in New York City the next fall. So when she went to that opening of her, the musical yeah. about her, um, so she got out of the car and Irwin was with on one side of her and Oprah was on the other and they were walking through the crowd Aww. and people were just like, oh, it gives me goosebumps. It was very cool. Over the summer of 2018, Tina learned that her oldest son, Craig, had been found dead in his home in Studio City, California from a self-inflicted gunshot oh, wound. No. At the time, he was 59 and a real estate agent. She wrote about his death, among other things, in her second memoir, My Love Story, that was published in October. So she said she had just talked to him, and he was, like, really happy about his life. And she said he definitely had depression issues, but he was really happy with his life. And he had met this girl, and he was really happy with her. And he didn't, you know, he sounded really good. And yeah. she was really excited, But you know, if, right before he killed himself. And, um, and then he called her again, like... The day he killed himself or like right before that, I don't know if it was the day of, but and he said something like, I just want to tell you I love you. And she's like, so he was saying goodbye. And she said, oh and, you know, like Oprah had asked her, so how do you feel about this? Like, what is your, your thought? And she said, well, he wanted to go that bad. So how can I be mad at him? He did. What yeah. He, right. And I mean, I get that, but I would still be so mad. I just can't. And I mean, I, help, I think it probably helps that he was in his 50s, like he was yeah. older. You know what I mean? Like super old. And so she was like, I don't know. It's still, I just can't. Ugh. Like really, really old. So, yeah, I mean, I just, like, <laughs> it's just so you're really old, like old like me. So Tina at 82 expressed the desire to retreat from the public eye. How do you bow out slowly? Just go away. She asked the documentary. According to Irwin, this HBO documentary is part of Turner's way of saying goodbye. She said, I'm going to America. I'm going to say goodbye to my American fans, and I'm going to wrap it up. I think this documentary and this play, this is it. This is a closure. So three years later, in October 2021, Turner was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame again, this time as an individual. Good. Early in the year, HBO released the biographical documentary called Tina. That featured archive, archival, god damn, archival, <laughs> archival. That's right, right? Archival. That weird. Archival. No, it is archival. Archival footage <laughs> and interviews with Tina, Angela Bassett, Oprah Winfrey, and others. Another honor that year came in the form of Tina Turner Barbie doll. Oh, I remember wow. seeing that in the really? stores. Yeah, that was very cool. I, I do I remember seeing it. that when my kids were. Yeah, I remember that. In 2022, Tina's son, Ronnie, died from colon cancer and cardiovascular disease at age 62. In an Instagram post, Tina wrote, Ronnie, you left the world far too early. In sorrow, I close my eyes and think of you, my beloved son. So her husband was younger than her children? Yeah, because she had her, her kids at 18. She had her first kid at 18? Or she when she was a senior. She had her first kid at 17. Yeah, and her husband was 20 years yeah, younger than Yeah, and then she had her. the other one pretty soon after so maybe so they, they were. were. They might have that's been, so yeah. Weird. Or right around the same age. Yeah, that's even weirder. <laughs> yeah. Tina's life after leaving Ike stands as a testament to the power of perseverance, reinvention, and the pursuit of personal fulfillment. 
her story serves an insp- as an inspiration to individuals facing adversity, reminding us that all we have, that we all have the strength within us to overcome even the most challenging circumstances and emerge triumphant. So, I want a couple. There's a there. I found a page of quotes from her, which I thought was very cool, and so I I narrowed it down to like five or so. The first one is, I always had long legs. When I was young, I used to think, why do I look like a little pony? (laughs) (laughs) She did. Her legs were amazing. For anyone who's in an abusive relationship, I say this. Go. Nothing can be worse than where you are now. You have to take care of yourself first, and then you take care of your children. They will understand later. There comes a time and point where it's it's just undignified to be a rock and roll star. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that if you just stand up and go, life will open up for you. There is no strict regimen that says when you are in your late 40s, you cannot wear a mini dress. Like, yes, girl. Um, And then rock songs inspire you to release whatever the frustrations and help you. Rock songs, rock songs inspire you to release whatever the frustrations and help you to go on in life. Spiritual songs do it on another level. A lot of people left my last show with the same sense of spirituality. My show gave people the drive to go and to do in their lives what they wanted to do and make their lives the best, do the best they can in this world. That is the mail I receive. My rock shows my rock shows did the same as what my spiritual music does now. Oh. So her death was announced on Instagram from her account. The caption just scratched the surface of her magnificent life and career, stating, with her heart, I'm sorry, with her music and her boundless passion for life, she enchanted millions of fans around the world and inspired the stars of tomorrow. Today, we say goodbye to a dear friend who leaves us all her greatest work, her music. So in here, you know, she and Oprah are very close. And when Oprah heard of her death, she posted on Instagram. She said, I started out as a fan of Tina Turner. Then a full-on groupie, followed by following her from show to show around the country. <laughs> and then, eventually, we became real friends. She is our forever goddess of rock and roll who contained a magnitude of inner strength that grew throughout her life. She was a role model not only for me but for the world. She encouraged a part of me I didn't know existed. Um, once she claimed her freedom from years of domestic abuse, her life became a clarion call for triumph. I am grateful for her courage, for her showing us what victory looks like, wearing mananos and leather mini mananos and leather miniskirt. She once shared with me that when her time came to leave this earth, she would not be afraid, but excited and curious, because she had learned how to live surrounded by her beloved husband Irwin and friends. I'm a better woman and a better human because her life touched mine. She was indeed simply the best. Aww. Isn't that so great? Oprah's the best. I was like, I got a little teary writing this. I'm so this. glad she found, like, I mean, she found this amazing man. And, and um, I mean, there's a lot of controversy in a lot of the things I read. And I just didn't feel like bringing some of the stuff into it. Um, about him? No, just about, like, her relationship with her kids. Her relationship with her mother was, as I said, horrible. But the, there's some people that say that she abandoned her kids and stuff like But, you know... Again, she was trying to survive. And it's like she said, if you have to catch up with your kids later while you're healing yourself, they'll have to understand or whatever. And that's true. You have to heal yourself. And I don't know. I mean, I'm it wasn't prominent in the stuff I read. There was just stuff here and there. I was like, I'm not gonna Yeah. But I just she's pretty cool. I mean that's a good story, yeah. I didn't know anything about her, so I'm glad you Yeah, I mean covered her. I think she's pretty pretty cool. I mean the if you and if you watch the the one with Angela Bassett and um Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, I want to watch that now. That one is... So I just rented um, Tina, the one on HBO. I just rented that one the other day and watched it again because I'd seen it. But the one with Angela Bassett and, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne is... It's tough to watch. Is it really? I yeah. mean, I imagine it is. I mean, I watched it way back in the day, but it's tough. Yeah. They have a scene of her showing up at the hotel with, you know, oh, all bloody really? up. Oh, really? At the yeah. It's really... It's really... Oh. Yeah. So... That's sad. But... I'm glad you got out of it. So if you liked our story, give us a shout out on our Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok at No Ordinary Women Pod and Twitter at No Ord Ord Women Pod. Or you can always email us at No Ordinary Women Pod at gmail.com. And make sure you like, follow, follow, rate, rate, review, review, 
and send us messages. Send us pretty messages. Yeah, on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Yes, make sure you, we actually have a ratings now on Spotify. We got enough ratings that it actually bumped us up and yeah. shows our ratings now. It won't show your ratings until you have like a. A so we're pretty much famous. So we're famous now. So, so you make better sure you get, get in. to know us now. Yeah. So we, our heads yeah. are getting real big. I know because we have our we have our fan base. We have Jenny. We have Katarina. Katarina. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's our fan base right now. And if we left your name out, let us know and we'll give you a holler. Actually, my mom does listen. My mom listens. Oh, and Joanne. Does she and Joanne listen? listens. Yeah. And my mom will definitely listen to this one. I sometimes oh, Chris it, listens. Yeah. Chris does. Well, he does sometimes. He mostly listens so that he can like, no, not your Chris, my Chris. Oh, your Chris listens. I was yeah. going to say my Chris doesn't. No. No, your Chris does listen. He mostly listens so that he can catch me saying things about him. Uh, <laughs> and complain about you. There you go. I have, um, yeah, no, my mom does listen, but like there's, there was one that we did, I, the one I did about, I, I can't even remember who it was. It was a couple weeks ago and it was pretty rough and I told my mom not to listen to it. Oh, really? Yeah. And there's some, she doesn't like hearing like the really gory stuff. So I yeah. just tell her not to listen, but yeah. Well, that's good. So, well, then it's been nice. It's been fun. But it hasn't been real nice or fun. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking clown. (laughs) Bye. You're simply the best. Better than all the rest. You're totally off in your tone. Shut up.